Welcome to Radio Abnet. Welcome to Abnet's Distributing Wisdom podcast. Distributing Wisdom is a forum for experts in the electronic components supply and distribution industry to discuss what it takes to adapt to and drive technological change. And at Abnet, we've seen this evolve over our 100 year history. And now we're bringing together authorities from both within Abnet and beyond to share their wisdom as it relates to perseverance, the critical role of the industry in driving innovation and how our past is driving our future. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the increasingly important role of corporate responsibility, often now called ESG or environmental, social, and governance. We'll talk about how to manage the increasing expectations of various stakeholders, the importance of industry collaboration, and how to stay focused on the areas that your business can make the most impact in. We're joined by Suzanne Fallender, Director of Corporate Responsibility at Intel, and Diane Osgood, Principal of Osgood Consulting. And bringing in the channel perspective is Avnet's Director of ESG, Stacy Mendez. I'm looking forward to a very informative discussion today. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining today. Please go ahead and introduce yourselves to our listeners. Hi, I'm Diane Osgood. I run a small boutique agency that helps companies create value from sustainability and helps build their resilience. Hi, my name is Suzanne Fallender. I'm Global Director of Corporate Responsibility at Intel. So very glad to be here. And thanks so much for having me and really looking forward to today's discussion. Hi, I'm Stacey Mendez. I'm Director of Corporate Strategic Planning and ESG at Avnet. The corporate responsibility space can seem quite confusing to those who aren't familiar with it, and sometimes to those who are. And the scope has increased a lot over recent years. Diane, can you help us understand what we're looking at when we're talking about CSR, ESG, and corporate responsibility today? The important thing to remember is that we're talking about how a company interacts with the rest of the world beyond just bottom line financial. You know, no matter what a company calls it, what matters is it's what are the issues covered and who's really interested in asking the questions. I mean, today I see the, the three main drivers are investors. There are a lot more investors that are interested in what companies are doing. And the reason is, it's about business continuity. It's around managing risk. It's where big issues can be very material to a business. The, the second real big stakeholder and, and push for this is, of course, the regulatory environment. And that's really shifting. Um, it's shifting a couple of different areas. It's shifting, for example, with human rights and more and more countries developing modern slavery acts. Right now, the Australian government, for example, is considering including a provision that would require any import into Australia to declare that it did not come from a part of China where there's forced labor. So you can imagine for the electronics industry, that gets tricky quite quickly. And then the third push, the third kind of pull for 
this type of work is really the customer. And as more and more customers have their own goals, be it climate goals, be it making sure there's transparency in their supply chains, they're going to go to their suppliers. And that's, you know, that's where Avnet sits and, and many members in the industry sit. And any company that, for example, has a net zero emissions goal, they're going to be knocking on their suppliers' doors very soon saying, hey, what are you guys doing about carbon emissions reduction? Because they need it to get to net zero. These are big companies within the industry who are starting to push on their suppliers to get going on their, specifically on their climate objectives. And in fact, last year, more than $51 billion went into ESG in 2020 as new money into ESG. And that's doubled from 2019. And that trend so far in 2021 is continuing. Yeah. So Intel's been setting goals and transparently reporting on our progress in ESG space and corporate responsibility for decades. I think you know, all the things that Diane talked about in terms of the key stakeholders are doing you know, proactive engagement with investors, with customers, with governments, you know, it's been something that's been really important for us because we've always defined corporate responsibility as really a management approach. You know, by looking at that broader lens of the impacts of your business and being really proactive and thinking about these issues helps you to better identify risks and also identify opportunities. So it's both on that risk mitigation standpoint, but also the opportunity side. And we've also looked at it from the perspective of how does it help you just manage your business better? How do you, you know, a lot of things you do to invest in environmental compliance or even being more proactive in environment also can save costs for the business. So really having that business focus and strategy lens and, and really driving integration of this work through all parts of the business. And it's been steadily growing for many years, but I think what we're experiencing now is almost a hockey stick increase in the focus, in the complexity, in the interconnectedness of these issues. And the one group that Diane didn't touch on that we're seeing a lot is the employee and future talent question, and how this is being looked at as a way to further engage your employees, but also knowing that the expectations of the future talent you're trying to attract just expects companies to be able to demonstrate how they're thinking about these issues. When you think about all the companies across the different sectors of the economy, the role of technology is going to be central. So thinking about how do you know, we as technology companies partner together in new ways uh, to drive that forward. And, and just in the last year, we announced our new 2030 RISE strategy and goals really to achieve just that, to create a more responsible, inclusive, and sustainable world enabled through technology and also the expertise of our employees. So that's what I'm really excited about is the more collaboration, the more the greater role of technology, and really that deeper integration that's that possible into businesses. So Stacy, can you talk a little bit about Avnet's perspective and how we are defining our key stakeholders? So Avnet has been around for a hundred years now. We're celebrating our hundred year anniversary this year. And last year we really, with that in mind, were able to step back and take a look at sort of what does sustainability mean to Avnet and capitalize with Diane and, and the team to look at what's material to Avnet and Avnet's industry and really start to define and make that transition from corporate social responsibility to ESG by laying out what is what's material to those stakeholders. 
really where Avnet's mindset has changed from transparently kind of reporting what our environmental impact is, what are the wonderful programs we're doing to engage our customers and engage our community and engage our employees to now saying, okay, let's be very strategic and prescriptive and precise about how we're going to make that impact. And for a distributor, our suppliers are a key stakeholder. We are their distribution partners. So our suppliers are those whom which we, we sell their electronic components, right? We're their, we're their channel to their customers. A little bit different than people sometimes think of suppliers when we talk vendors or indirect suppliers or service providers at Avnet are really those like Diane who are professional consultants or perhaps we're, who we're licensing software from. So we're not earning direct uh, money from them. We're not reselling their products, but we really have to divide those that definition and make that definition clear. And, and of course, they're all our partners, just uh, distinct. Let's talk about goal setting next. Well, what does that process look like? And what are some best practices that you can share? Stacy? do you want to start? When you're first setting the goals, it's great to have those great aspirational goals and those and those bigger goals, but maybe they need to be out in the future a little bit more while you're spending time really getting the basics done in your short term, right? And that doesn't mean that those, those shorter term goals can't have significant impacts because you might be a little bit further on some of those journeys, maybe in the DNI space than you are in some of those other focus areas that have come out. But in learning about the goal setting, really, it has to be very collaborative and having that governance structure set out. And it's really, you have to engage those partners across your company. All those functional areas really are going to contribute to how and what types of goals are achievable and smart to set. Because, you know, as sitting as the ESG director, I'm not necessarily the one that's going to be able to go, you know, change the HVAC system in our facilities, right? I'm going to need to engage the facilities team and work with them on what's achievable and where can we look for reductions and emissions, let's say. Well, other things we've done around the governance side is create an ESG council. So it's some of the leadership team uh, that are able to provide guidance, remove barriers, uh, really help with setting that strategy and implementing it across the company. And then as well as an ESG working team, that broad global multifunctional multi-business unit working group that uh, really helps me understand and and collaborate with them to understand what is going on across the company and how that they can help um, not only bring communication from their teams, but take communication back down. So that two-way communication, as well as then, of course, support in all of the initiatives and goal setting that needs to be done. So that's really utilizing that governance structure is is a huge part of it. And of course, having that leadership buy-in as well. One thing I found is that in, in the early years of the journey, sometimes process goals are the best goals to start with. So don't jump into a, we're going to reduce our carbon footprint by 50% in three years. Start with the process, developing the data collection, developing the process to train folks so that they know why this is important and have those as your goals for your first couple of years with a goal further on of setting real clear, quantifiable impacts, be it on waste reduction or measures of increased diversity and inclusion or something like that. And data is key in that first step. I think even before you try to set public goals, just spending time with the data, really going through the, the process 
and and maybe setting just internal goals first before you make them public and getting comfortable with that. And, and one of the things that we've talked about for years, and, and Stacey, you alluded to this, that it's okay if you don't hit them. So for our 2020 goals, there were two that we didn't hit all the way, but the amount of learning we had out of those two goals and how much progress we did make over that time frame, I think was really important. And so, of course, you know, people feel more comfortable if they know that they can have a goal that they can hit. But I always say, well, if we hit all of our goals, maybe they weren't strong enough. But, um, but this transparency piece and the data and just getting internally that people understand the data and where those, that low-hanging fruit is, is, is really the best first step. Yeah, and I certainly see that as more and more companies are more transparent with the data they're sharing, it then enables other companies that are not as far along in the journey to also share that data, right? There is definitely a fear of putting out that public goal, the public data then that supports where you are with that goal. But if, you know, it helps others to say, hey, well, you know, maybe it's Intel. Intel put that data point out there. It's okay. We can share that data point too, right? Because we all would love to get some kind of standardization of evaluation of, of how each company is doing in, in our ESG space. But that's a long time out, but it's, it certainly helps for all coming to the table, sharing the same types of information, because then we all can improve in that point. Yeah. And I think it's helpful to note things like almost 10,000 companies release their carbon footprint data through an organization that goes by the acronym CDP. And that represents more than half of the total global market capitalization. I mean, it's huge that in the last 10, 15 years, so many companies have been able to make that data public. And I find that provides great comfort to folks who aren't so used to being so transparent about what's going on inside their companies in terms of their environmental and slowly more the, their social footprint. Suzanne, can you talk a little about Intel's journey and how you've really shifted from table stakes to having full impact through your CSR programs? So for us, we've been setting goals around some of the key issues Diane talked about in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, renewable energy, water, you know, in the sustainable space, and then and then also in other areas like diversity and inclusion. I think one of the things that we, you know, have been doing is continuing to push, well, what does that look like? And so, you know, in terms of our environmental footprint, we had you know, set goals to reduce our water use and really drive more conservation internally. But we also set out a goal for 2030 to achieve net positive water use. So not only continuing to conserve and drive investments in water reuse on site and conservation activities, but we also set out a goal to restore water through collaborative partnerships with local nonprofits in the watersheds where we operate to fund projects to, to help really reduce water use, you know, not just within Intel, but, but out in the community. And these are projects that need funding where we've been able to work with other companies to talk about how this is a really important part of our strategy and how these investments can really help at that system level to drive change. I think the other thing we've been thinking about from our inclusion metrics is we have set some bold goals for ourselves to double the number of women in senior leadership by 2030, to double the number of underrepresented minorities in senior leadership over the next decade. But we also know these issues across our industry are too big for any one company to solve. And we're all doing amazing work in a lot of these different spaces. But if we could come together more collaboratively, 
you know, we can have even greater impact. So we actually launched in April something called the Alliance for Global Inclusion that's just really kicking off, but we had brought together chief diversity inclusion officers from many different tech companies to start building unified metrics and four key areas that we could drive collective action together. So that's something that we're really excited about in terms of changing that narrative of what can we collaborate together to move the whole industry forward. So obviously this is an ever evolving space and there are some legislative trends that we all need to consider as we move our strategies forward. Diane, can you help us understand what we're looking at? Two big categories, supply chain and climate. And, you know, the first one, I'll I'll tackle climate first. This current U.S. administration, it's no secret that they're really focused on climate change And I think we could see a lot more interest from investors as a result and possibly some legislation popping up in other places in the world that will impact what a company is required to do to receive benefits and receive incentives to create lower carbon products. And that's where this, that's where the um, the technology sector can play such an important role. And that I believe will be supported more and more by governments moving forward as they start to get serious about their Paris Climate Agreement objectives. The second area is supply chain. The issues down supply chains, both for resilience and for the potentials of abuse, be it environmental or labor abuse, have become more under critical lens And what we're seeing around the world is an increase in appetite for modern slavery acts and modern slavery uh, legislation that require a company to report what they are doing to ensure that there is no slavery or egregious labor violations in their supply chain. Some of the legislation, for example, in California doesn't have uh, a penalty so you can simply report we're doing nothing or that we have it and there's no penalty. It's, it's, a trans, it's purely a transparency law. Other places like the UK, there are fines and penalties if a company is shown to have in fact forced labor somewhere in their supply chain. And so it's, it's getting serious. And so supply chain is going to grow in interest both from the resilient side, from the business continuation side, and also from the environmental and human rights side. So next I wanna talk about the importance of community support in the context of a broader corporate responsibility strategy. Suzanne, do you wanna kick us off on that topic? For Intel, we're a major manufacturer. So we have significant large manufacturing campuses in communities, our two largest, you know, are Oregon and Arizona. And so for those sites, it's not just about having community programs, but it's really about having that two-way dialogue with our neighbors, with our local stakeholders, with understanding the schools and the nonprofits and the whole ecosystem you sit in and where we can play a role. So we do have community advisory panels at these large sites. So we get that you know, two-way dialogue going. And then we also proactively you know, look at, well, where can Intel support the community? And a lot of that is in either local hiring or have, helping to build that pipeline of STEM talent kind of in the communities where we operate. And so we can have those jobs you know, of the future filled by people in the community. 
one of the key things, and a lot of companies have volunteer programs. And you know, sometimes people don't really think of that as being kind of in that really core ESG space. But I think it's really important when you think about how employees want to be a part of a company's ESG strategy, want to be able to make a difference. And for those of us in the technology industry, our employees are often engineers, technologists who have amazing skills that really can help not only serve as mentors for students, but also can help nonprofits and others really think through how they can use technology to you know, serve more people in the community. So I think there's, there's a lot of really good opportunity just to think about that and, and how you could get engaged. For us, we actually have set a goal now as part of our 2030 goals to give back 10 million volunteer hours around the world over the next decade. And so you know, part of that, why we're able to do that is we've been able to build that culture of volunteerism, providing support for employees to volunteer, but really the, the amount of satisfaction and engagement from the employees themselves is, is also a critical business value as you're thinking about how do you have the best talent that you can and, and keep people long-term. Intel's impressive journey really shows how these issues evolve. And when we think about sustainability and CSR and ESG, by nature, the issues will evolve because society evolves and our understanding of our impact and our relationship with the environment evolves. And it's just important. I think it's really, it's a bit hard, but it's also really important to understand that what we set out to do today is really important and something else might be added to our agenda in a couple of years. And so not to get locked down, like this is the only thing we're ever gonna look at. And particularly when you're looking at a company like Avnet with a hundred years history and multiple hundreds of years ahead of it, it's important to remember that this is more of a dance than a one way unmovable um, or immutable track. Speaking of Avnet's 100-year anniversary, Stacy, I know we have some special programs going this year for our communities around the world. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? Yes. Yeah, so uh, in celebration of our 100-year anniversary at Avnet, we've also put together a very special campaign. It's the 100 Acts of Giving. And in the 100 Acts of Giving, all we are doing is supporting our employees' volunteer efforts globally. And so what we're doing is we're giving $100, $1,000 grants to the charities of our employees' choice. Uh, we have had submissions from charities globally that support various types of organizations from epilepsy to hospice, to animal rescues from dogs to horses, to a group riding bikes to save energy and donating funds to help flood victims in Germany. So we're really excited about this. Uh, we've given about 55 grants to date, and we will be giving our last set of grants out at our year-end 100-year anniversary celebration on November 17th. Thank you all so much for being on today. It was a pleasure to speak with you on this very important topic of ESG. Thanks so much for having me again. I really enjoyed the discussion. Thanks so much. Yes, thank you both for joining us today. It was great to hear your perspectives. Thank you, Suzanne, Diane, and Stacy, for joining today's podcast. On our next episode, we'll be talking about the very important topic of supply chain trends. To learn more about distributing wisdom, please visit avnet.com 
forward slash podcasts. Thank you for listening. Until next time.